Welcome to Better You Live, an HCI podcast dedicated to giving you the tools, motivation, and inspiration you need to take things to the next level in your career and in life. Now, coming to you live from HCI's Main Street studio in downtown Cincinnati, here is your host, Alan Mellish. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Human Capital Institute's Better You Live. I'm Alan Mellish, and I'm your host. This is the HCI podcast where we give you tools, motivation, and wisdom to succeed in work and life. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone to rate and subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Smart Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got a comment on Twitter, make sure you use the hashtag HCI Live. This episode is brought to you by HCI's new certification course, uh, Empowering People Leaders. I'll have more to say about that in a few minutes, but you can learn more right now at www.hci.org forward slash EPL hyphen course. Our topic today is new managers, a lean approach. And here to talk about it is Todd Hudson, Chief Maverick at the Maverick Institute. So, with more than 30 years of experience in process improvement and operations management experience, and more than 15 years as a global knowledge transfer expert, Todd has worked with U.S., European, and Asian companies and seen just about everything the business world can throw at you, from frenetic growth and high volume to cutting fat, cutting into muscle, and cutting your own throat. Todd is the consummate why-not-thinker, helping clients set and reach ambitious goals, eliminate waste, and reclaim valuable resources to deliver more customer value. He is all about engagement and measurable results and positive impact. Todd is also a popular speaker at conferences and corporate meetings and a prolific writer whose articles have appeared in Chief Learning Officer magazine, The New York Times, and many other business media. He is co-author of Mindful Habits for Seven Lean Practices, as well as two books on employing lean methods to accelerate onboarding of new hires. Todd holds an MS in Industrial Engineering and Operations Research from the University of Massachusetts and a BA in Chinese and Economics from Connecticut College. Todd, welcome to Better You. Alan, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So let's get started. A little bit more about the topic we're discussing today. Uh, everybody kind of recognizes intuitively, and I think the research really backs it up, that anytime somebody is taking on a new management role of people, some, whether it's leading a, a big team, a small team, a, even just a project team that's only going to convene for six months and then disperse back into the organization, it's really a challenging thing for the person who's going to be taking on that leadership role to make sure that everything is running smoothly and that it, everybody's performing at or above expectations. And so I wanted to start off by uh, delving into a little bit uh, why, why you think that is and, uh, and, and what, how people could change the way they think about approaching this situation. Yeah, well, there's, it's a, it is really challenging. I and mean, I still remember the very first time that I was, a, I basically had staff and how to manage people. And it was, it's, a, it's, it's a very daunting challenge. There's a lot of issues there. And I think, frankly, it, it starts with the, the, the phrase people management. I mean, that sort of, I think, is a big part of the problem in that it, it sets the stage and says, you know, to achieve your goals, to meet the, meet the challenges in front of you, it, it is all about the people. 
Um, and people are just part of a system. I mean, they use the software tools, they use the compensation systems, they use the communication mm -hmm. systems. And so I think the, the term people management sort of unfairly puts the burden on, on the people in the system. So I think that, that that becomes the focus rather than what is the work that has to be done and what are the tools to do it. So. Interesting. And so uh, it is, I think, helpful for everybody to remember that it's, you know, people are a very important part, a crucial part, but it, you're right, it is a, a system or an ecosystem that they're not just people in a vacuum. There's all sorts of other things that they have to use, interact with, or in some cases get around to be able to do the work that they need to do. Yeah, and it's mostly the getting around part. I mean, you know, they're given they're given software, and they have to use the contracts that are set up. They have to use the vendors that are in place and things. And a mm -hmm. lot of work is, frankly, people trying to get around the obstacles that are in their in their way. And the people who are typically promoted, uh, you know, into management positions or supervisor positions or team leader positions, whatever you call them, um, mm -hmm. were the very best individual contributors in that system. So you know, they were the ones who worked smarter and harder and uh, uncomplainingly, and they got around all of the all of the obstacles that were in their way, and so um, now they're sort of thrown in the in position of managing a team. It could be the team they came from, it could be an adjacent team, um, but you know now they have to think differently. And and frankly, in many cases, it's very hard to do that because they don't have a lot of training, they don't have any experience in leading teams and stuff. So they they wind up sort of falling back into that individual contributor role. Whether mm -hmm. they, you know, that when when they can't get their team to quote do what they want, you know, um. yeah, it's sort of a um, because when you're in that individual contributor mindset, and especially when you really know your way around and really know how to get stuff done, it's hard to resist that temptation to just sort of, you know, let me do this, I'll do that, and, right. and, you know, you do this when you're taking away. You're taking an opportunity for someone to learn how to do that thing that you know how to do better, and yeah. you're also taking up your own time doing something that uh, somebody else should be doing. Yeah, I, and I think you know the uh, is you know you're you're promoted. There's a lot of pressure. I mean, this is a, you know it's a maybe a pay increase. There may be more benefits mm -hmm. and things, and so you want to perform well. And you know, management is you know they, they've. They've demonstrated a lot of faith in you, like promoting you, and so you you right. want to you want to be you want to succeed, and succeed is you know getting the work done and you know on time, high quality, and so when your team you know fails to do that, you just jump in because you know mm -hmm. how to do this thing. So you just sort of again you keep falling back into that individual contributor role rather than saying, oh, I need to start thinking about how to leverage all of the you know how to basically create a system around the talent that I have in the team, the abilities, and mm -hmm. make that work. So. But it's a right. It's a, it, but a lot of times, I mean, upper management they say things like you know, kind of whip the team into shape, or you know, they say things like that, and mm -hmm. they're not helping you understand that it's a bigger system that needs to be improved. So, yeah, I think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And so, just to sort of, I think we're we're doing a nice job of covering the uh, some of the issues that tend to come up, but uh, I do want to get into, um, I guess, what's uh, what is a way for someone who finds themselves in this situation, or somebody who is trying to help somebody who's in this situation get 
uh, get better. Is there a is there a framework or a way that uh, that you recommend for these new managers to to start thinking about the work that has to get done, the system that everybody is everybody on their team is working within, and and how can they use that uh, to 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 change the way that it all get it all works for the better. Yeah, I think the, the framework that I use is force field analysis. I'm not sure whether people know that, but let me give you just a, a, a thumbnail of what that is. I mean, force field analysis was developed by Kurt Lewin in the 1940s. He was a social scientist, social psychologist, and he's kind of considered the, the father of organizational development. And he used force field analysis, or he created force field analysis um, to look at change management. So I said, whenever you want to make a change in an organization, um, you can look at forces that... Uh, support that change and forces that resist that change. And so he had a, a very simple technique of saying, let's list those forces you know, on, on either side of this issue we want to change and then look at their strengths and see what is going to be working for us and against us. And so it's a, it's a really nice model. And what, what I've done is I've, I've adopted that to uh, leadership and in particular uh, lean leadership. So when people mm-hmm. are looking at uh, improving their performance, they can use that. Do you have that graphic that we can look at? Uh, yes, I believe our producer is putting it up right now. Um, yep, it's up, so we can we can walk right through it. Okay, so let me explain what what, the, what this is. So, um, what you have is you have a system where you have um, the current performance is in the middle. So the black arrow, which goes from from right to left, says here's where we are today. And let's just assume that whatever this performance is, whether it's on-time delivery or whether it's quality or customer satisfaction or cost or whatever it is, if I go up, let's say we go up, that means it's getting better. And if I go down, that means it's getting worse. Okay. And the reason that it's in the middle, the reason that it is where it is today, it's because you have two forces that are working in opposition to each other. I have driving forces that are trying to push this thing up into where the current state is and even better than that. And I've listed on the right-hand side what those things are. Like, you know, they have, we have rewards and recognition programs. We have mission statements, customer needs, contract requirements. And I do things like surveillance audits and I have uh, performance reviews. And so I have a lot of forces trying to keep the system going in the way it is and, and not basically fall down and get worse. But, you know, the system's not perfect. So, I mean, I, I don't have 100% on-time delivery. I don't have, you know, perfect quality. And the reason for that is I have these restraining forces that are pushing down from the top. And those are things like unclear requirements. Um, I have uh, lots of assumptions. I have clutter and disorganization. I have poor organizational structure. I have the wrong tools and equipment, um, conflicting goals and objectives. And so the, these two things cause the the system to sort of stabilize at a certain point. Now, it, it fluctuates around that point, um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't move up or down significantly from that point. And, and the, way that, um, the way that I use this with clients, I do coaching for leadership and especially for lean leadership, and this is really helpful for first-time managers because they tend to work on the driving side. So, you know, the reason that they were promoted, you know, being a, being a really uh, strong individual contributor was they were doing the work, okay, and they were able to, you know, use the policies and procedures or get around the policies and procedures. They were really uh, motivated by the mission statement, by the customer needs, um, you know, their performance reviews, you know, got them to work nights and weekends and all this stuff. But 
they were very much in tune with the driving forces of the organization and were able to get around the restraining forces. So um, even though the organizational structure was poor, they knew people, they knew who to call, they knew they'd go down the hall and talk to Sylvia, whatever it was, you know, mm-hmm. um, they could interpret the requirements uh, correctly or better than other people. So they worked around all of the restraining forces really, really well. And the problem that new managers have is that um, their staff doesn't know how to do that. I mean, by definition, they were the highest performer in the group. Um, yeah. And so, you know, what happens is, is, is they set themselves up to try and say to people, you should be more like me. Here's how you get around all these problems. I mean, you know, um, right. and they, they, right. And they, they say the, they, they repeat the inspirational messages. They talk about how important the customers are. And so all of the things that matter to them, they impart to their staff. And a lot of times their staff doesn't have the same motivation as them, or they're, they're just not as knowledgeable as they are. They don't have the skills that they have. And so, I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're not able to, to do what the new manager did as well as they did. And so then in frustration, the new manager goes back and says, well, I'll, I'll take care of it myself, or I'll check all the work and things. And so, you know, but instead of just doing it for themselves, now they're doing it for five, six, seven, eight, ten, twenty 10, 20 people, right? Longer yeah. nights and longer weekends. Um, but you know, these people, like I said, were uncomplaining hard workers. So they just kind of dig in and do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and that's interesting. I, 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 I like the, um, where we've taken this with the, uh, the restraining forces, figuring out how to navigate or get around them. Cause that is, uh, that is really, it's almost like to them, uh, or to the manager in that situation, they may not even see the problem with these restraining forces. They're like, yeah, well, you know, of course, there's unclear requirements. That's why you have to talk to Jeff. Right. <laughs> like, right. You guys don't know about Jeff. Like, you know, that's the <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. And so it's uh, it's harder for them to see the uh, you know something that might be insane, like an insane way of doing something, but that's the way that they were able to get stuff done. And right. they, you know, there could be just a really bad policy that's in there that is holding up work. And they were one of the few people that figured out a way to work around it. But it doesn't mean that that policy shouldn't be removed as a restraining factor. That's right. I mean, so, so, you know, so if, if one person goes to Jeff, to sort of clarify the requirements. I mean, that's okay, but it's not scalable. If, if the new right. guy, if the new manager says, oh yeah, when it's unclear, go to Jeff, and suddenly 20 people are going to Jeff, I mean, Jeff's job is suddenly, you know, helping 20 people clarify this yeah. requirement. And so, you know, can Jeff get his work done? So like you said, the, what the manager, what the new manager's gotta say is, oh, how about I sit down with Jeff and we write really clear requirements so that the entire team now can understand what needs to be done. Yeah. But yeah. No, go ahead with what you were saying. Yeah. So 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 what, you know, the the tendency of of first-time managers is to is to work on the driving side, you know. Um and then sort of tell people their tricks on the restraining side. But mm-hmm. what needs to happen is they need to start looking at how can I remove the restraining forces. So instead of having a workaround by going to Jeff or whatever, you know, I say, "Okay, let's Let's start looking at what were the things that I had to get around as an individual contributor, and let's start to actually remove those things from other people's mm-hmm. path. 
And, that, and that's a yeah. very different role. So instead of instead of motivating people and saying you should really care about the customer, and, and that means doing anything, and that means you know going to talk to Jeff six times if you have to, it says, well, I should just go talk to Jeff and let's remove that restraining force, and so then twenty people can get it all done quickly. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great point too about how um, I think talking about the difference in mentality, where the whatever you want to call it, the just the type of person who often becomes a high-performing individual contributor, um, like you said, very driven, very focused on the customer, or whoever that is, or you know, just in love with the actual work that they get to do, and uh, they're trying to set everybody else in the organization on fire with passion for that, and that. The, that certainly helps, you know, passion and, uh, and enthusiasm can be very infectious forces. But I think it's a great point to, um, to make that those, not everybody, nobody is maybe as passionate as you are about, I don't know, designing widgets. Right. You know, you can't turn everybody into a mini you and their motivations, priorities, and obligations outside of work are maybe going to be different, are guaranteed going to be different than yours. So you can't just will them into becoming a version of yourself to yeah. in order to increase performance. Yeah, and, th- and, that's, and that's really the, the first thing that people try and do is they don't quite understand why their staff isn't quite excited about this stuff. And again, mm-hmm. they, they sort of tried to do the inspirational messages and things. And you know, what they really should be doing is they should be putting themselves in their employees' shoes. So there is a concept and lean of what's called walking the gemba. And the gemba is the place where the work is done or the value is created. So, mm-hmm. you know, even though they've done the work themselves, um, perhaps, maybe they haven't, but they should go out and they should be walking the gemba and seeing how work is done with the intention of understanding what are the obstacles that are in people's way. I mean, you know, so... What is it about this work that's causing them to have to stop and, you know, maybe make a phone call or they can't finish it or, you know, how is the work flowing into them? Um, And then they should be looking and saying, oh, you know, I should fix that. I mean, one one of the things that new uh, first-time managers have that they don't use enough of is credibility. So, you know, they've they've been singled out from a large group of people as a leader. Mm-hmm. And so management has a lot of faith in them, and they obviously have a very strong track record of performance. And um, they should use that credibility to go back to their manager, to their boss, basically, and say, hey, you know, I was able to get around this particular problem, but 20 people can't. Like we said, you know, there's only, right. there's only one Jeff in the organization. So they, they have, a, I think, a short period of time to go back to their you know, upper management and say, if you want this group to perform as well as I did, these are the things that have to happen. You know, um, we need uh, we need faster software. We need to have clearer requirements. Uh, we need to have you know better procedures, or we need to have um, you know uh, we need to have better organization in terms of where people are located, things like that. And and you know, management at that point um, should be listening and saying, oh, you know, that makes sense. We can do that. But but they should be using that credibility that they have as quickly as possible. And I think too often they are reluctant to go back to management for help right away. Right, because it makes yeah. them seem weak or like they're complaining or that kind of thing. Yeah, because you know, up until now, typically they have been your uncomplaining hard worker, and now they're coming back and saying, you know, here's what I need to, in order to do this. 
Right. Um, but but like I said, is is they they probably have at when the first months or half a month on the job, they probably have the most credibility to go back and say, hey, I've been analyzing the work. You know, I was able to do this. Uh, my team is not able to do it as well as I did. If you want to, you know, improve how things are done, we need to remove these restraining forces that are keeping these people from being able to perform well. Yeah, and I think too, in the beginning of that, the advice to prioritize this kind of conversation at the beginning is, I would imagine that is when the upper management is most likely to be uh, open to hearing that. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you know, you're coming in, you have the, you know, your credibility with them will, will most likely uh, not, uh, you know, better to get it while you have high credibility with upper management than if you slog along for six months and kind of get stuck in quicksand and then start saying, this is what we need to do differently. Um, yeah, and then, two, then, it, then it starts to sound like an excuse or a rationalization. Right. It's like, I couldn't, oh, you couldn't get it done, and now I need these resources, instead of going right away right. and saying, you know, look. And, and, but I, and I think, I mean, having a, really, having a really clear conversation with your manager about the fact that, hey, you know, I work nights and weekends. I put in all this extra effort. You know, I came from the supply chain group, so I know those people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I was able to perform so well. And so, for my team to be able to you know, to uh, to start to approach that level of performance, we need to look at, you know, how can we give them access to those resources, those tools? We give them that knowledge of supply chain. I mean, what is it that they need in order to be able to do the work faster, better, higher quality? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. I do want to pause just a minute here to yeah. talk uh, real quick about the uh, the course that I mentioned at the top. So in this podcast, we're talking about one of many facets of, uh, of being a better manager, a leader of people. And HCI is now proud to offer a SANU certification course called Empowering People Leaders about the vital role that they play in team effectiveness. We discuss specific actions that people leaders can take to achieve better talent outcomes and increased organizational performance. So if you're responsible for developing people leaders, this course is for you. You're going to walk away with practical tools that you can immediately use with your managers and leaders. Uh, Please, again, learn more at www.hci.org forward slash EPL hyphen course. So... Jumping back in with Todd there, um, the uh, I really like, uh, especially with your explanation of it, I really like the, uh, so you're saying it's kind of to pull back into things that uh, uh, the driving forces, of course, help, but the restri- removing as many restraining forces as, as possible is is really the way to make scalable pros, uh, uh, progress and improvement as a team. Is yes. that a fair summary? Yeah. That is. I mean, the, the removing restraining forces has a lot of leverage. I mean, so mm-hmm. for instance, if, if, you know, if, if I'm going to try and motivate, if, if I have a staff of 20 people, okay, yeah. and, and, the way I'm gonna, and the way that I'm going to uh, try and get them to perform it is to motivate them, right? I may have to talk to all 20 people, and I've got to find what motivates those individual people, and I've got to go back and motivate them again, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas if I if I do some analysis and say, oh, it's totally unclear requirements. I mean, you know, Bob would love to do the work, or Sylvia would love to do the work, but she just doesn't. It's not clear what she's supposed to do. You know, the way mm-hmm. that the specifications are written are just easy to misinterpret. And so, you know, if I go in and I start to get rid of some of those restraining forces, mm-hmm. everybody on the team benefits from that. I mean, you know, oh, I have, I have clear, I have a, we're located in a, in a better place to do our work, or we're located closer together. Um, the requirements are clear. Uh, we now have a procedure. We have a step-by-step procedure to help us do the work correctly. Um, mm-hmm. So those types of things. You definitely have more leverage on the restraining side if you work there. So, so the force field analysis is helpful. So maybe I could talk about how, how I use this with new managers, yeah. one of the things they can do. So, so one of the practices I have with when I'm coaching people is I say, well, keep track of what you're doing every day. And you know, write it down on a post-it note. Just say, yeah. oh, yeah, I, met with, I met with Sylvia, and I you know, did this, and I, I, and I held a staff meeting, and I talked about you know, the new requirements, and uh, you know, we did a surveillance audit or whatever. And you know, just write them down in a post-it note. And at the end of the day, just put them on either the restraining side or on the driving side. So if the activity was driving, you know, I, 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 I talked about the importance of quality. Okay? And I didn't tell yeah. people how to do it, but I just, I, so I put it on the driving side. Um, if I worked on uh, improving policies and procedures, I worked on training, I worked on um, you know, uh, making people understand the, the requirements better, I put that on the restraining side. Mm-hmm. So what, what I've seen with, with a lot of new leaders, new managers, is a lot of post-its on the driving side. You know, whenever they sort of get stuck, they go to the driving side. They, you know, mm-hmm. That's kind of where they fall. And so what they need to do every day is to say, okay, today I'm going to do one more thing on the restraining side. So I'm going to pick just one thing, and I'm going to go out there, I'm going to figure out what is holding my team back, and I'm going to, try, I'm going to make that go away. And over the course of their development, and you see, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not going to be, you're never going to be 100% on the restraining side. Yeah. I mean, there's always some driving things that have to happen. I mean, there are contract requirements, and there are, you know, uh, customer needs, and you've got to represent that to your team. That's part of the job. Um, yep. But it's got to be balanced. So, you know, so new, so new managers, new supervisors have to work both sides of the, of the line here to be effective. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, that practice of just, I mean, that's a great way to improve yourself as an individual contributor anyway. Even, you know, the idea of taking, you know, just for a week even trying to keep track of, what you're doing, how much time you're spending doing it, mm-hmm. things like that can, uh, you know, or they always talk about like uh, the food journal for your, uh, for the diet yeah. that you're trying to stay on or whatever. Mm-hmm. It makes you, it forces you to look a little bit harder at what things you're doing mm-hmm. um, and what amount of time you're devoting to them in a, in a week or, or however right. long. It, it's also good as a checklist. I mean, if, if you if you yeah. sort of are thinking that you know things aren't going right or maybe things are getting worse and stuff, mm-hmm. you can look at this list of driving and restraining forces and say, well, you know, I, I gave the inspirational message. <laughs> okay, you know, mm-hmm. um, I talked about rewards and recognition and how your performance review depends on this. You know, I did all that stuff, and things still aren't improving very well. So maybe it's time to work on the restraining side. Have I thought about? The fact that oh we have a lot of assumptions about things, or the fact that we have really uh, we have the wrong tools, and, and so mm-hmm. it, it keeps you from just focusing on one side of the line. 
Yeah, yeah. The um, the uh, yeah checklists. I I really love, um, and I think the uh, it, it's interesting how it's interesting how it just shifts your consciousness in a real way of you know it's it's a pretty simple division once you kind of get the concept of okay what am i doing what is what is pushing upward and what is pushing us to you know what is the gravitational pull that's keeping us down right and uh and i think you know and some of these are not simple problems to solve either like oh, no. for organizational structure like that's <laughs> yeah, no. there's billions of dollars going towards that right today yeah. and uh and so there might be it seems to me that there might be some things on this list that you can improve a little bit at the margins mm-hmm. but you know it may it may be beyond you both in terms of your span of control and Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of that within the organization. So there's, uh, but it's certainly worth a comp- conversation with your with your manager saying like, listen, our the way we are structured as a team, or the way our department is structured into these teams, does not make sense based on what we're what is being asked of us. Right. And so yeah. you can even if it's something that's going to take a year to change, you can at least start to bubble up and be an early voice saying. We got to do something about this, and then keep working on other things like uh, that might be a little easier to tackle, like clutter and disorganization, or you know, unclear requirements, mm-hmm. those kinds of things that might be easier to deal with at your level. Yeah, I think you know, the, I think you're right about the fact that you know, the rest- removing restraining forces is more complex. It tends to be sort of things mm-hmm. outside of your immediate span of control. But but mm-hmm. if you're going to be an effective manager, I mean. That's where you should be working, anyways. I mean, so you know, you should be you should be doing activities and doing things that your team can't do. So, for instance, your right. team probably you know can't go over to contracts and talk to the manager there about something. I mean, but right. that's your job. So, partly it's you know it's making those connections and building that network of your peers in adjacent mm-hmm. departments and, and uh, you know in the in the value stream, and then saying. Hey, you know, is there any way that we could clarify these requirements, or you know, could we change the timing of the when this work arrives, or you know, when it comes, you know, could we attach some other information to it? Um, but that's your job is to work, you know, outside of your team part of the time and try and, and try again, try and make those connections and and try and remove those restraining forces because in some cases, you know, this person in contract is going to say, oh. I, we don't care how it comes to you guys. I mean, we just we've always used <laughs> right. I mean, we just we did it that way. Yeah. We, we had no we had no idea that when we did it this way, it took you ten minutes to find this other piece of information. Sure, we can. Oh we yeah, can, we can pull that right from the database, you know. And so it might be a super simple fix that nobody's ever thought of, and and your team is going to be thrilled to death that yes. you went out you went out there and and found a way to solve their problem. Yeah, yeah. I think there is sort of a lot of the time there are uh, there are solutions or there you know the barrier that you build up in your mind is not as big as it is in actuality. Where like in that example, you go to the people in contracts and say like, "Hey, is there any way we can change this? Because it takes a bunch of extra time every time that we have to process this." They're like, "Yeah, we could change that tomorrow." 
that, that, that happens more than you think. Because usually, be, you know, so the work that you get is sort of thrown over the wall. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't understand sort of how what they do impacts you necessarily, and you and you toss things over the wall sometimes with the next person <laughs> yeah. in line, you know, not understanding that what you're doing is is negatively impacting them. So, um, you know, but the manager's job is to make that relationship clear between these different groups, and you know, so but it also a lot of it starts with sitting down and saying. So when I was an individual contributor, what are the things that I had to get around, right? And then mm. talking to your team and watching them work and having discussions about, you know, um, so why is it difficult? Why are we having trouble? And then saying, mm-hmm. oh, let me go talk to contracts or let me go talk to supply chain or let me go talk to legal about this and see what, see what I can do. And you go right. into there, you, you represent your team, you talk about the tools you have, you talk about how long it's taking or, you know, some of the work you've got to do. And they may be able to very quickly accommodate you. And then you you come back and you've you've removed a big restraining force that that helps the entire staff do their work better. Yeah, and then once you get into the habit or mindset of doing that, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes uh, those kinds of things, ju- those kinds of behaviors start to become coded into you as a manager of mm-hmm. like, oh, there's a problem over here. Let me go talk to so and so or that. That shouldn't be going through them. It should be going through them, or uh, whatever the potential solution is to remove yet another restraining force from uh, from from your team's performance. So, as we come to the end here, um, I wanted to give you give people a chance to find out uh, how uh, how to find out what you uh, more about what you're doing, uh, where you are in the world, stuff that you're working on. So, what's the best way for people to keep up with you and the Maverick Institute? There. So, best thing to do is uh, go to my website, which is www.maverickinstitute.com. Uh, you can check out. I've got a resources page. So you can read about some case studies you've done and, and things like that. But uh, mm-hmm. you can also learn about my consulting services and workshops and coaching services. And you can also subscribe to my blog, The Process Improvement Junkie. Oh, it sounds like excellent reading as uh, someone who is, I think we're all secretly infuriated by bad process, but we just don't. Absolutely. (laughs) Whether it's the DMV or the ordering at McDonald's, well, that's actually a pretty good process. They're they're getting better. They're getting better for sure. Yeah. But but, yeah, yeah, you think, you know, it's sort of. DMV, you know your your local uh, could be your local hardware store, whatever it is. You're waiting and yeah. waiting for things. Yep. So. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who goes out and interacts with the economy in any way is uh, is rooting for better process in in the world. So. Amen. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time. And once again, this uh, uh, episode was brought to you by HCAI's. EPL certification course. Learn all about it at hci.org forward slash EPL hyphen course. And for all the ideas related to the wide world of people in HR, please check out the Human Capital Institute at hci.org. If you have a question or comment, please email us at bestu at hci.org and we might read it on the next show. All right. Thank you very much, Todd. Great, Alan. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ben.